So we are living in the new normal. And as a church, you know, we go through the extra mile. We go through great lengths uh, to ensure that you can come and worship in a safe and a virus-free environment. You know, it's funny how an invisible virus, something that is so small that we can't even see with our naked eyes and something that is so minute, an invisible virus has brought nations to its knees can force humans to change how we do life, our lifestyles, how we do work, uh, how we do school, how we do church, how we worship. Everything has to be done in a different way. This unseen, invisible threat seems to be so powerful and like I said, literally bringing nations to its knees. Now we have to live our lives masked, sanitized and separated. And I'm sure we all go through great lengths in our daily lives to ensure that we live by the requirements of this uh, new normal. You know, this whole putting on of masks and, you know, getting ourselves sanitized and, you know, sitting and separating ourselves from other people. Uh, uh, this is all new to us. Uh, it's, it's a new normal for our physical worlds. But on the spiritual side, the Bible tells us to go through our lives with certain coverings. Uh, dressed a certain way to protect us from something uh, more deadly that not only has the potential of affecting us in this life, but the life to come. So it's more deadly than the virus. The virus can only affect you in this life. And even if the virus affects you, you can still make it to heaven. But, but the Bible instructs us to get ourselves dressed a certain way to protect us from another invisible threat that is worse than the virus because it has the potential of affecting us not only in this life, but the life to come. And we can read about this in this very well-known portion of scripture in Ephesians chapter six, verse 10. And the moment I say the armor of God, the scripture is about the armor of God. All of you know what scripture I'm referring to, but I'm gonna be reading out of, uh, from verse 10 to 18. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, Praying always with all prayer and supplications in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplications for all the saints. In its context, the scripture is warning us about this unseen enemy. Uh, like the virus which I mentioned, the devil and his devices are unseen, but what we do experience or what we do feel 
are the symptoms of his touch or his, of his effect, of his attack on individuals, on relationships, on marriages, on families, on the nation. And with the virus, even though we don't see it, we still wear our masks so that we don't give it access into our bodies. And in that same way, Paul tells us to put on the full armor of God so that we don't allow the enemy access into our worlds, into our lives. And mind you, Paul is not stating this as a suggestion. It's a nice thing to do. He's giving us these instructions as a mandate. This is mandatory. You know, the government recently made the the putting on of masks, the wearing of masks mandatory. Up to a certain point, it was a suggestion. And as long as it was a suggestion, you'd see some people with masks on, some people without. You know, you can go to the supermarket, you have those people with a, you know, they, they come to the supermarket with face shields and, and masks and gloves and headgear. They got their head covered and they're fully covered. And, you know, they look like surgeons going for a surgery. <laughs> they're walking around the supermarket, tomato. Cucumber. And then on the other extreme, you have these people who are walking around like it ain't nothing. They're walking around dressed like as though they're going to the beach. Shorts, singlets, no masks, nothing. And they're just cool about it. And uh, with the recent increase in cases, mainly from people and places who are not adhering to the safety guidelines, the government decided to make mask wearing and other precautions mandatory. And when they make it mandatory, they're basically saying this to you. If you do not comply, if you do not adhere to these guidelines, there will be consequences. So based on this portion of scripture, this is mandatory requirement for believers. And if we do not follow these requirements, these instructions, there will be consequences. So he starts off this portion of scripture by saying, finally. Why finally? Because in this epistle, Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, and he has been giving them instructions, instructions on on, on unity, how to live in unity, how to live as children of light, how to relate as husbands and wives and, and children and parents and servants and masters. So he's giving us all these instructions on how to do life as believers. And then he comes to this point where he says, finally. You know, finally is like the icing on the cake. I don't know about you, but I believe that the icing makes all the difference to the cake. How many of you bakers here can agree with me? Come on. In fact, in many cases, the icing defines the cake. You know, you can have a a cake that you spend hours, you know, making and putting ingredients in, but then if you botch up the icing, the whole cake becomes like, just not up to mark. Something is wrong. And Paul is saying, finally. So these instructions are like the icing on the cake. You have all these things going on, but if you mess this up, It's just going to mess everything else up. So finally, this is the icing on the cake. And it starts like this. He said, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. He says to the believers, be strong. 
He's actually encouraging the believers to be something that he or she has the power to be, to become, or to step into. That means the flip side of that is also true. If we can choose to be strong, it means that we can also choose to stay in a place of weakness, fear, and faithlessness. So he says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. The word translated be strong is from the Greek word endunamo, which is basically saying by dunamis, uh, by your inherent power. That means you have the ability to be this. It is, he's not asking you to do something that you do not have the ability or the capacity to do. You have the ability to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. The same word is used in his letter to Timothy, encouraging Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, he says, You therefore, my son, be strong, again, and dunamo, in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It is the same idea that is being conveyed in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13, where he's saying to the church, Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. In fact, the older English translation of this verse, I mean, they did a great, great job back in the day translate, translating it to the English of that day to convey the point. The older English translation says it like this, that particular scripture, be on alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be a man, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. You know, if someone comes to you and say, hey, act like a man, la. Of course, if you're a woman, you should slap that person. <laughs> but if you're a man and someone comes and says, act like a man, you understand what is being conveyed. Uh, basically, they're saying to you, be the person that you were created to be, that you were wired to be. Be the person that you were designed and destined to be. Be like who God made you to be. Behave like who God made you to be. So Paul is saying, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. He's saying to you, you have the ability to step into a place of strength. Trusting in his power. Don't waver from God. Stay trusting. Stay in that place of strength. Stay in that place where you are firmly established, anchored in God's might and power. In other words, don't be a wishy-washy Christian where you're up one day and you're down the other day and then, oh, I don't know today. Oh, I don't feel like praying today. Oh, I'm, I'm upset with God today. It's just up and down, up and down, up and down every time. And you notice that Paul conveys this in most of his letters to churches and individuals, telling them to be strong because there is a real danger of believers falling away or, or losing their grasp or their confidence in God and his strength, especially when they go through tough times, when they face persecution. And the church of those days faced a lot of persecution. Today we call, some of us think wearing masks is a persecution to the church. No, it's not. That's not persecution. Amen? In fact, the scripture says in Matthew 24, verse 9, and he's talking about the end times, 9 to 14. 
He said, this is what's going to happen as we get closer to the end. And many people feel that we are living in the end times. We are getting closer to the end. And he says, they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. That's good news. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended. They will betray one another, will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. So it says because of lawlessness, because of all the evil, because of things that they're going through, because of the challenges, because of the persecution, it says the love of many will grow cold. That means many, and what love is this? It's not love for their wife or love uh, for their children. It's the love for God. It's their faith in God will start to deteriorate. It will start to, to go, go cold. And, and it says, but that those who endure till the end, those who are able to be strong right up to the end, through every challenge, through every persecution, push through, stay believing, stay in that place of faith, stay in that place of strength. He who endures till the end will be saved. It's for those who stay strong. Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Come on, just say it to yourself if you're at home, say it to the person next to you, be strong. So going back to the armor of God, this whole scripture is within the context of spiritual warfare. And in that context, we will face situations where unless we are strong in God, trusting in His might and power, we won't be able to endure or overcome. We are entering a phase of history that will require us to walk in strength and power that comes from God. Come on, where are the strong Christians? If that's you, shout an amen. You see, strong Christians are not moved by what moves the world. We are not shaken by the things that we don't understand. We are not driven by fear. We are driven by faith. We are not living in confusion. We live in confidence. We don't react to the atmosphere. We shift the atmosphere. Come on. And it has nothing to do with physical strength. Your bodies may be weak, but you can still be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Auntie Leela is, you know, she may be of a certain age, but she's strong in the Lord and the power of, of his might. You know, you, she, you, you can go and fight her, but when she calls upon the name of the Lord, things will shift and change because she's strong in the Lord and the power of his might. It has nothing to do with your physical strength. He says, finally, be strong. This is not the season for weak faith. This is a season for strong faith. And then in verse 11, he says, put on the whole armor of God. Put on that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. There's something that you got to be. And then there's something that you have to put on. You know, by, the, by virtue of the scripture instructing us to put on, it means that this needs a conscious act by us. The armor doesn't just appear on you like how Iron Man does it, the new Iron Man where he just presses a button, snaps a finger, says something, and next thing you know, the armor is just appearing on him. Or like He-Man when he says, by the power of Grayskull, 
and the armor appears on him. You know, some of you are looking, what is pastor talking about? That was from my generation, he-man. We need to make a conscious effort to cover ourselves. Application is needed. You know, if you go to the shop and buy insect repellent cream, you will know that just because you own the cream, it doesn't mean the insects won't bug you. In fact, you can own an insect repellent company. It still doesn't mean that the insect will not bug you. It means nothing until you apply it upon yourself. You know, many people know what the armor of God is. They have it in their Bibles, but how many of us put it on and apply it? Put on the whole armor of God. You see, knowing about it informs you. Applying it transforms you. It's called the armor of God for a reason. It is God's armor, not ours. It is God's armor which he made available to you and I. Let me explain that a bit. In the book of Isaiah, this is about 2,700 years ago, you find God speaking into the current state of affairs and also into the future. Isaiah is a very prophetic book. So the state of mankind at that point was bad. It says truth has fallen on the street. There was no justice, no righteousness. Sin was all over. Basically, the enemy was having a field day. And it says there was no one to even stand in the gap and intercede for mankind. So what God does, God himself says, I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to come and break the enemy's influence on mankind. And what does he do? It says in Isaiah 59 verse 17, for he put on righteousness as a breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. So the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation is his, and he made it available to us. Isn't that the truth? Isn't that the reality? Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become not just righteous, full stop, that we might become the righteousness of God. It is God's righteousness. It is his breastplate that he puts upon us. Your righteousness is not something that you can create, that you can earn. It is God giving you something that only he has. Amen. And the helmet of salvation is his as well. Entirely his effort. You receive your salvation, you know, not because of how good you are, because of how good he is. The scripture says in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and then not of yourselves, but it is a gift of God, not of works that anyone can boast. It is entirely his. The salvation is 
what He does for us, what He gives us as a free gift. Righteousness and salvation is God's armor. It's what God has made available for us. We can't create it. We cannot earn it. We receive it by faith. It's His armor. And when you get that reality locked into your heart, you stop judging yourself by what you have done. You start judging yourself by what Jesus Christ has done for you through His finished work at the cross. It's his armor. He's the God of truth. He's the God of peace. What else is his? Revelations chapter 19, verse 13. His name is called the Word of God. Everything about the armor is entrenched in the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. And now out of his mouth goes a sharp, Sword, the sword of the spirit. It is on your side, but it comes out of his mouth. It originates from his mouth. We carry the sword, but the sword is his. His word, the word of God. Your ideas and your words won't overcome the enemy. Your ideas and your words won't change the world. But God's word will change the world. God's word has the power to cut through. His word is the sword of the spirit. Whatever you're going through in life, there may be strongholds in your life. Listen, even as you declare the word, the word goes forth like a sword and cuts through every stronghold, every barrier, and there is freedom. You know, in fact, the scripture says, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. Amen. It's his armor that he's made available for us. But the first piece of the armor, I believe, is the most important. You know, if we don't have this, then we will not be able to put on the rest. He starts off by saying, stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth. That's the starting point of putting on the armor of God. It always starts with truth. Without truth, you will never be able to put on righteousness. You will never know the value of the gospel of peace. You will never have access to the shield of faith. You won't even know that you have a helmet of salvation or even the sword of the spirit will be like an unprotected army without weapons. You know, like what I preached about uh, the week before. And Paul is using the example of the armor of a Roman soldier, which the people of, of his time would see on a daily basis. And in this case of the Roman soldier, the belt was crucial. It held his garment together. What they wore when they were not in armor was this tunic that was just had a hole for, for the head and for the, for the arms. They would just wear one piece like that. But when they were about to go into battle, they will start off by putting on the belt. So what the belt does is the belt holds the garment together. The belt holds his weapons of warfare. And, and if he doesn't have the belt on, what happens is when he's going into battle, his tunic will be flying all over the place. Some of you have seen that, uh, that, that Tamil movies, right? <laughs> when they get angry and they pull the waistie up. <laughs> they have to pull the waistie up. If not, the waistie will fall or they will fall. <laughs> so they tuck it into their, their belt or whatever it is they wear with the waistie. But... This is what the Roman soldier does. So he's about to go into battle. He first, the first thing he does, to, he takes 
the, the tunic, he pulls it up and he tucks it into his belt so that what he has on the inside doesn't get in the way of the battle that he's about to face so that what he has on the inside doesn't trip him up when he's going through his mission, going on his battle. Listen, and that is why we need the belt of truth. If we do not have the belt of truth around us daily, the first thing we put on, if we do not have it, what we have on the inside will end up tripping us, will end up... will end, Will make us, will cause us to fall and become a victim of the enemy. The belt of truth and the sword of the spirit, everything is connected to the belt. It is so, so important. So he says, you, you, you need to start off by putting on that belt of truth. It always starts with you and I laying hold of the truth. And that's where the devil starts as well to get his agenda going. You know, how did sin come into the world? What was the first thing the devil went for? The truth. The first thing he tried to target, he tried to get away from man, the truth. Did God really say? What was he doing? He was getting the belt of truth away. Did God really say? Because the moment you start to doubt the truth, everything else becomes easy picking for the enemy. And that's his strategy even today. There's such an attack on truth. How many of you see it? Yeah. You know, today the big thing in the world today is this concept of political correctness. Political correctness at its core is an assault on the truth, especially when it creeps into the church, it encroaches into the, the preaching. You know, you nowadays you're not supposed to call sin, sin. You're not supposed to confront wrong beliefs and, and wrong lifestyle. You can't, you can't preach certain truths of the scripture because it would be politically incorrect. It would offend people. Today, in the name of political correctness, correctness you know, people have redefined what is marriage. People have redefined what a man is, what a woman is, what love is, what gender is. They have redefined what the Word of God says in the name of political correctness. Now Facebook has 58 gender options for people to choose from. Not just male and female. Now you've got agender, bigender, cisgender, non-binary, transgender, pangender, and that's just like a few of it. Who, who, who knows the rest of it? Who's been keeping track of this development, please? And then there's, there's non-binary. And then there's gender fluid. Now, let me tell you what gender fluid is. I had to look this up. What is gender fluid? If you're a gender fluid person, that means today, I feel like a man. Today, I'm attracted to women. But next week, I may feel like a woman. So I am fluid. So that means, that used to be defined as a mental illness. No, don't laugh, that's the truth. Today, it is a gender. So today, I can be Pastor Clarence Shashi preaching to you the word of God. But next week, I feel different. So you're gonna get the word from Pastor Clara Shasha. You all seem more excited about Clara Shasha than you are about Clarence Shashi. Hey, I'm not crazy, I'm just gender fluid. I'm pastor fluid. You know, if you type in how many types of genders there are, 
on Google, you will see articles upon articles telling you about the different genders. It's not just male and female anymore. You can identify with a whole bunch of different genders. And this is being taught in the classrooms, in the Western world, in America, in schools in Europe, uh, shaping young minds. Uh, they are teaching that your gender has nothing to do with your biology, but all to do with what you feel. Gender is a social construct. But some of us are thinking, yeah, but that's America. America is crazy. But how many of you know America's biggest export is culture? What is culture in America, give it a few years, will become culture for the rest of the world. Will be the culture of our young people. How many of our, uh, the things that we do today, we are doing because it was culture in America all those years ago. They export culture to the movies, to their advertisements, through everything, through Facebook, through Google, and we are taking it hook, line, and sinker. They teach young kids. They've got this story time in the libraries where they get a transgender to come and share stories. And they will tell the, these young kids, five to seven, because they know that's the age where they absorb the most. And where they will tell them, listen, you, I, I, you can get to choose. You don't have to decide now if you're a girl or a boy. You can choose it later. I chose to become a girl later in life. So you've got all these kind of uh, things that are going on. These days we hear people saying, it's not about the truth, it's about my truth. It's my truth. And... That's where truth moves from an objective reality to a subjective preference. It's an attack on truth. And at its core, this is what it is. This is what we need to understand as the church of Jesus Christ in this day and age. At its core, it is an attack on God's word. At its core is the voice of the enemy saying, did God really say that he created men in his image, male and female he created them? Did God really say for this reason, a man shall leave his mom and dad and be united with his wife in marriage? Did God really say that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life? And this is the question that we must confront. Listen, young people, we must confront as we go out into the world as we are hit by what culture says is true, which we know is in total contradiction to the word of God. Where will our stand be? Because let me tell you, I knew, I know of a guy who at that point of being confronted with this question, decided that, listen, I'm going to do what's popular because the chick is watching. And my chick would really like me to give this answer. And he was just silent in the face of that question. Sometimes your silence is an answer. And if you're all wondering who this guy is, how many of you figured it out? Adam. The chick was Eve, not Steve. <laughs> At that point, he wanted to do what would be cool in the eyes of mankind. When I say mankind, she was the only other person there. Yeah. 
He wanted to impress her. And how many of us go through our lives wanting to do what is cool in the eyes of our friends, what is cool in popular culture? We are called to be people of truth, people who stand out, the bastions of truth in a world that is spitting out lies. The devil is using the culture of the world to peddle lies. We have to be firm in the truth. We mustn't be people who shrink back, who second guess, who doubt. We must be of those who once we lay our hands of the, on the plow, we will not turn back. Hebrews says, you know, we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we belong to those who stay in faith and live. We are not called to live our lives politically correct. We are called to live our lives biblically correct. Amen. The Bible never tells us to adjust the word so that it doesn't offend people. The scripture tells us to speak the truth in love. The world doesn't need more political correctness. It needs more truth. Political correctness will, will comfort you, but it will keep you in darkness. Truth will confront you, but it will deliver you into the light. Truth has a name. His name is Jesus Christ. He didn't say, I know the way, I know the truth, I know the life. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Everyone who calls upon His name shall be saved. Did God really say that? Some of you are even thinking right now. Yes, He is the way. He is the way for your friends in school. He is the way, the truth and the life for your family members. He is the way, the truth and the life for those people in your workplace. They all need the truth and you need to walk around with the belt of truth firmly girded around your waist. If we ourselves are struggling with this, wasty falling every now and then because we don't have the belt of truth. How are we going to protect not just ourselves, but lead others into the light, which is the commandment from God? Only the truth has the power to transform lives. Only the truth has the power to sanctify people. Jesus prays his prayer in John 17, 17. He says, sanctify them, Lord, by your truth. What is truth? Your word is truth. If you're struggling with things in your life, filth in your life, things that are not right, the only thing that can sanctify you is the truth of God's word. Amen? How will people know that they do not need to live condemned anymore? How will they know that they have hope and peace in a hopeless world at this point? How will they know that the enemy has no power over their lives? You know, some of us are struggling with our walk with God. We're living with condemnation. We're not walking in His peace. We, we struggle in our faith. We doubt our salvation. And, and the reason is, the reason we struggle with all of that is because we haven't fully embraced the truth. That's why we're constantly having highs and lows, ups and downs, living in condemnation. What does the truth say about you? Because if you don't get this, forget about the whole armor of God. We all know what the armor of God. Listen, application is key. 
knowing what it says in the pages of scripture is great but what is it saying to you how does this impact your life it's either it is 100% true or it's not at all you cannot bargain with the truth of god's word pick and choose it's not a buffet what does the truth say about you the truth says that god so loved you so loved you that he gave his only begotten son so that if you believe in him you will not perish but have eternal life the truth says that you are forgiven you know that some of you here some of you watching at home you're struggling with unforgiveness you're struggling with condemnation the truth says that you are forgiven that you are the righteousness of god in christ jesus right now you are righteous say to yourself i am righteous that is the truth of god's word you are not just righteous you are the righteousness of god his breastplate of righteousness he puts on you his qualifications it's like me going for an interview for interview as a dentist i have nothing no qualification that's going to ensure i would get a job as a dentist i only know how to brush my teeth but i'm going for the job with dr tiagan's cv because i have to shave my head a little bit so we i become as good looking as him but i'm going to the to the job with dr tiagan's cv and based on his cv i am hired that is you having the righteousness of god in christ jesus you are facing the world you are facing the enemy with jesus christ cv one day you're going to stand before god not with your cv because now you're, you we are all focused on our cv oh i don't have what it takes oh, i didn't pass i failed here but one day i'm going to be standing before god in Christ his CV enter in well done good and faithful servant his righteousness is upon me his righteousness i am come on say i am, I am. the righteousness of god in Christ Jesus the truth says that you are holy and blameless as you stand before him why jesus has CV you are worthy Holy and blameless that's your standing before God right now. The truth says that you are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. How many of you are embracing that truth? Whatever you're facing right now, it has not come to stay, it will not overwhelm you. You will overcome because you are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. Amen. The truth says greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. What's the challenge that's waiting for you in the coming week? Based on your strength, your ability is going to be tough. But there is someone much greater on the inside of you. And he will lead you through. Amen. Amen. The truth says that you are loved. 
with an everlasting love. The truth says that you are protected to all these people who are constantly living in the fear of dying of COVID. You are protected. You dwell in the secret place of the Most High. He hides you under His feathers, under His wings. You are protected. We may be seated here, but we are under the wings of God. Protected. A thousand may fall at our sight. 10,000 all around us, but it shall not come near you. That is your truth. Amen? Amen. The truth says you have a hope and a future. Some of you may be facing dead ends right now. Listen, it's not a dead end, it's a new beginning. Because the truth has already spoken. You have a hope and a future, and God is already in that future making a way. He's already made a way for you. Amen? The truth says that your name is written in the book of life. No one can go and rub it off. Permanent marker. Like what some of the kids use to write on our whiteboard in the office. It's really, really hard to get off. Because of that, I'm going to put a camera just above the whiteboard. The truth says that by His stripes, you were healed. Healing is your inheritance. It is an established truth to the finished work of Jesus at the cross. Stand firm. Having girded your waist with the belt of truth. I can go on and on and on with the truth, what the truth says about you. But it's time for you to be firm in the truth of God's word for your life. Paul says, put on the full armor of God. And it starts with the belt of truth. If you don't get this on, you're going to trip up. You won't get the rest of the armor on. Amen. And the truth will set you free. Come on, let's stand. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, God wants to do great and mighty things in and through your life. But we've not put on that belt of truth. It's not firmly fastened around our waist. That is the foundation. And because it hasn't been firmly fasted around our ways, the enemy has been having a field day with your life. It's been up and down, up and down, in and out. You feel righteous one day, then you feel terrible the next day. And today I just feel the Holy Spirit saying to deal with condemnation. Because there are people here, they're sitting in church, but they're struggling with condemnation. And you need to know the truth 
of God's word. He has said, therefore now there is no condemnation. No condemnation. Not some, not a little bit. Absolutely zero condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. So there is no condemnation. The devil cannot condemn you. He has nothing to condemn you with. You keep looking at your CV. You you keep focusing on what you have done. But the truth is, it is Christ's CV that you need to focus on first before the enemy sees. Jesus Christ put His righteousness on you. His righteousness is perfect. Every sin that you have committed in the past, every sin that you are going to commit in the future, He already saw and took it upon Himself. More than 2,000 years ago, at the cross in Calvary, once and for all, dealt with it. It says the written code against us was removed. The written code, what the enemy used to read, all the accusations against you. It has been taken away from the hands of the devil. Jesus paid the price once and for all. It is finished. That's why Paul says, therefore now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. That's why the scriptures can call you holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. No, even as I'm saying that, some of you are hearing that little whisper. Did God really say, listen, the enemy attacks the truth. And it's time for you to say, yes, God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Come on. That settles it. Come on, let's give Jesus a clap offering. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, everyone under the sound of my voice, at home, in the church, those who will be listening later in the week, that spirit of condemnation that's been tormenting them, that's causing them to be just instruments being played by the enemy. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I break its power. I break its power. Freedom. Freedom, even as the truth has gone forth. Let it fill every heart, every mind. In the name of Jesus, the truth will set your people free. Therefore now, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. So Father, we thank you by your great power that you are doing great and mighty things in the lives of your people over homes, over families. And Lord, let freedom reign in every heart. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. Do what only you can do. We submit to you. Have your way. And Lord, I bless your people even as they step into this week. They will step into this week with a belt of truth firmly girded around your waist. They will be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And I ask all this in Jesus' name. And everybody shout and Amen.
Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week ahead. And the band is going to close us with a song. Take it away, guys.